Hello, you are listening to Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts, a space dedicated to history, art, culture, politics, sociology, anthropology, and many other subjects. This episode is part of the Modern Art in the Maghreb series and was recorded on April 9th, 2021 via Zoom. This is part of a larger Council of American Overseas Research Centers program financed by the Andrew Mellon Foundation that seeks to collaborate with local institutions for a greater awareness of art historical research in North Africa. In this episode, Nada Shabut, Regent Professor of Art History and the Coordinator of the Contemporary Arab and Muslim Cultural Studies Initiative at the University of North Texas, talks about Al-Harf as a site of negotiating modernism and unity. To see related slides, please visit our webpage www.themagrapodcast.com. Thank you so much for inviting me. Hurufia was, in fact, half of my um, uh, PhD dissertation. So it is something that I've worked on um, for a long time to the point that I thought I'm so done with it. I can't hear the, the you know, the, the word Hurufia anymore. But clearly, um, there is much more to research and look into. Um, and clearly, the world is interested still in Hurufia. Hurufia has been um, a kind of a, a very contested term. It is a, um, a naming that is always uh, debated. So there are those, for example, Wujdan um, Ali, uh, she now goes by Wujdan Hashimi, uh, argues for the calligraphic school of, uh, of art um, because specifically she would like to connect the uh, modern uh, formulation to the Islamic heritage. And she actually says that um, without calligraphy, there would have not been hurufiyah, um, which is you know, something I disagree with because I think hurufiyah um, is unrelated to calligraphy, particularly in the Arab world. I think it's more related to the spoken language of Arabic, the, you know, the secular everyday uh, use of it. So whether there was calligraphy or not, I think the invocation of the Arabic letter as a sign of various um, uh, significance would have uh, been the same. Now, clearly, if we talk about um, the use of the letter, which we share with Farsi and Urdu as two other languages, their invocation of the letter is a very different thing. A, they're not thinking about it as an Arabic letter per se. They're thinking about it as an Islamic reference. And if we think of Pakistan, for example, a modern state that was very much formulated on the basis of religion, of Islam, you know, being its whole purpose of, uh, uh, of existence, then sure, you know, modern Islamic can um, qualify there as a way of, of continuing or asserting a specific reference. But that's also specifically why we should think about Hurufiya uh, for the Arabic letter in a different way, because as the concept of a nation state based on the spoken language, I mean, the Arab uh, of the modern age are called the Arab countries, the Arab world, because of the Arabic language. Hegemonic as that is, because we do know that there are many other languages um, that exist within the sphere of the Arab world. I mean, you know, in, in Morocco specifically, um, you're aware of, of the Amaziri and other 
languages around you, even in, in North Africa. So that is understood, but it's also a modern thing to be hegemonic. And so it was sort of, you know, an assertion of a specific identity. The idea of a nation state in itself is chauvinistic and, and hegemonic. And so, you know, this idea of a national being is something that is very much rooted in this the idea of being an Arab. And so, you know, calligraphic um, um, school of calligraphic abstraction, or however um, she names it, is... Um, possible for certain you know examples but not cross the board lately actually i i um, took part of um, a symposium that the tate modern organized and they called it textual abstraction that's you know a very good possibility because it is about text and it is about abstraction and so i suppose you know it is if we wanted to have a uh, a generic or an overall naming textual abstraction is, is is okay for me i mean i accept it as such but i would still argue that harufia is very valid for a specific period of time of of um, uh, examples within the arab world why for all these sort of reasons that i'm throwing here that i don't necessarily have to go deep into and i'm assuming many of you are very aware of of the details of this but the whole idea for example of a nahda the arab renaissance of the 19th and 20th century which is something that has been sort of um, you know marked and identified by historians as in you know, one of the most important events of uh, uh, for the Arab world. And for me, what is important about it is that not the, the actual um, acts, which, uh, yeah, of course, they are important in their own way, but it actually signaled the need and um, the necessity of a change for the Arabs. They specifically and consciously sought a, you know, a, a move from the heritage and the history into something you know that expresses their uh, modern being at the time. Now, what is also interesting is the Arab Nahda sort of set the standards for many things, including standardized Arabic language. So North Africa and uh, um, the uh, West Asia can um, communicate with each other. So they sort of set the idea of a unity based on an Arab being. And that was a way of secularizing and moving away from what they saw at the time as hegemonic Islamic identity that, you know, uh, gave primacy to um, being Muslim. But of course, you know, the Arab nationalism is as <laughs> problematic because it, again, gives primacy to an Arab identity. However, they thought of an Arab identity more in um, a cultural sense. One can argue that Islamic was equally just cultural as opposed to religious. Um, you know, so you did not need to be uh, Muslim to, to sort of be within an Islamic um, uh, civilizational sphere. Christians of the Arab world equally um, are part of the Islamic culture and even use the same idioms that, you know, that the, the Muslim would use. So the Arab, you know, again, is, is sort of something similar to that. But the idea of renewal, change, of modernizing, whatever that is, and we can debate that um, later, is something that the Nahda did sort of uh, promote. The Arab revolt, which sort of, you know, put the primacy of the identity of an Arab first, you know, Prophet Muhammad was an Arab before being a Muslim was uh, sort of the dictum. And so, you know, being an Arab comes first. And those are the shifting identities that, you know, continue through the 20th and 21st century.
Arab Islamic, and then you have the individual ones, the Moroccan versus Iraqi versus, you know, um, uh, Egyptian and so on. Of course, you know, all of that complicated by colonial encounters, civilizing projects, you know, I'm sure you know all the, you know, the, the, the details uh, about this, but, you know, all of that also is um, promoted by a change from, of identities from religious, where the Arab now shifts above the Islamic. The Islamic remains, but it's no longer sort of the main identity or the important identity, but the relationship to Islam becomes more complicated than it was before. Um, and we see it sort of, you know, come in and out of, of artist imagination in different ways. But there was this need for a new imagination of a national identity, a strength of an Arab bloc. And I'm not even talking about uh, um, Gamal Abdel Nasser or you know, the Nasserite um, pan-Arabism yet, but it does lead into that because it is part, I mean, that's what supported it. The cultural Arabism, I will always argue, came way before political Arabism. Let's say the politicized Arabism, because the political has always been part of it. It's part of forming a national identity. It was as important to all the Arab artists to assert themselves. You know, you're sort of embarking on a new project in various ways, and they're trying to figure out, you know, as an Iraqi, what does it mean to be in borders? You know, what does this national identity mean? I mean, there was always Baghdad, Basra, for example, and Mosul as part of the Arab provinces of um, uh, the Ottoman Empire, but now they had to think of themselves in a very different way. They're no longer, you know, pledging allegiance to the caliph in uh, Istanbul, but rather they have to understand what it means to be a civil um, uh, citizen in um, a country that has a, you know, uh, constitution and various other things. Now, you know, very much, let's say, Iraq, who, which celebrates 100 years of um, the establishment of a country this, this year, is way more complicated even than others, as it was very much established by the, the British um, uh, interference, let's say, if not direct, and having a Hashemite um, king installed in a country that wanted to distance itself from um, its Islamic heritage is actually ironic in various ways. But it was seen as the only way that um, all the tribes can, can accept and rally. And so while a country is secularizing, you know, they had to contend with the idea that they have a new king who is only sort of, you know, um, let's say claim to the, to the throne is that he descends from the Hashemite um, ruling family um, uh, of the prophet. So it's the, that dichotomy, that tension that sort of permeated everything in the uh, formulation of a national identity that we see negotiated through the work of the artist. Now, Harufiya, specifically, the Arabic letter served on various um, levels for various um, uh, purposes for all the artists. I mean, and we will, I, what I will do next, I'll look at, through the different examples. I'll focus more on um, um, two or three uh, specific cases because it goes beyond that sort of surface uh, or that moment, uh, let's say, engagement with the letter. But the letter, as all of this taking place and as sort of there is a mobilization for an Arab um, identity, there are slogans, there are, you know, um, uh, 
the, the you know, different political writings and the Arabic letter becomes the sign that sort of combines all of these elements together. So it does serve for the Arab artist on various levels. And, um, an interesting early example to even um, earlier than the time we can talk about trend is in the work of the Syrian Iraqi uh, Madiha Omar. Madiha Omar was born in Syria. Um, but her sister uh, was married to an Iraqi um, uh, doctor and she was living with her sister in Iraq, grew up, graduated, went to um, the, um, the teacher's college and then actually got a, a scholarship to um, study in, um, uh, in London as well. And, and she was not studying art, but she always did art and she was always very, uh, she excelled, you know, she has good uh, complimentary sort of um, comments on her work. But then she marries an Iraqi diplomat and she's in Washington, D.C., and she's able to go to the Corcoran School and she's able to study art. While she's there and doing some research, she came across a book by Abbott on calligraphy. But what attracted her in calligraphy, I mean, to start with, we have to think that what those Arab artists and particularly early Arab artists were doing is trying to find their own place within this international um, modernism that's taken place, where they're not necessarily um, you know, new countries, new everything, they're not necessarily, you know, sort of a, a top power, but as artists, as individuals, they were as, you know, because of the optimism, were equally feeling as part and contributors to the notion of modernism, despite of the fact that they're looking for their uniqueness, their specific, you know, kind of identity. So she discovers this um, uh, cal you know, calligraphy book. She thinks of this as very sort of inspiring to her. And she thinks of calligraphy as equal to the arabesque. So she's actually seeing the Arabic letters in for their plastic qu uh, uh, qualities, that they are decorative. And this is a whole other sort of topic in terms of, dec the, you know, the, the decorative and, and uh, uh, modernism. But she, you know, she starts doing her own, uh, you know, uh, experiments with it and have an exhibition. And she even publishes a booklet called Arabic Calligraphy, an Inspiring Element in Abstract Art. This is 1949-1950 in Washington, D.C., um, where she does this exhibition. We, what we understand is that she sees now the Arabic letter they, that she's been using you know, throughout her life in a very different uh, uh, light. She sees the plastic possibilities of it. She sees it as a surface manipulation that is able to carry uh, expressive qualities, expressive meanings. Um, and she understands the Islamic use of it. She understands that what she's doing is liberating the letters from um, the calligraphic sort of uh, uh, rules and uh, and regulations, and then you know giving them their own kind of qualities. They're figures, you know. I mean, here at the concert, the letters are you know you you can almost hear the musicality of these letters as they are performing, and it is definitely not about reading anything, even when at at times you know we because we are Arabic speakers, we can sort of imagine certain you know um, uh, words that can be uh, formed with it it's an invocation similar to that invocation of yeah you know ali that the, the shia prayer had similar to in fact the invocation that calligraphy does you know when you go to a mosque 
there is, you know, um, uh, epigraphy on, on that's so high you can't read it. You know, it's a Quran, you know, it's a verse from the Quran. So it does sort of, you know, invoke that spirituality without you having to read it. And so in a way, this equally invokes um, certain um, uh, element, expressive elements that have more to do for the layman, let's say, like she says, with identity than it does with Islam or with the Quran, with, you know, the beautification of the word of God. And she's experimenting with it in various sort of, you know, shapes and forms and very, you know, styles in sort of a surrealist adaptation of, um, of the letter into um, the different uh, acts that she is um, uh, kind of uh, imagining. And if you go to her website, Medi Haumar is um, not studied enough. Um, I think, you know, everyone has always said that, you know, she's one of the uh, the, the first to uh, work in, in um, Harufiya, but no one has done any further studies on her. And, you know, hopefully in time this will, will happen. Her grandson has um, tried to kind of, you know, archive her work. And if you go to her websites, you're actually able to see various examples of her kind of uh, journey um, uh, through the idea of abstraction. Now, it's interesting that, you know, she came across that while she was in the US. Um, and then, you know, we have another artist, Jamil Hamoudi, also an Iraqi artist who was studying in, um, in Paris in the 1940s. Um, and he's always sort of been involved in um, developing the intellectual um, sphere of um, uh, the country in Iraq. And by the way, I, I should mention that Madi Haumar was the first woman artist and one of the first artists to get a scholarship to go study from Iraq. So, you know, there is much more to know about this woman than um, that she started, you know, Harufiya um, or she did early experiment in Harufiya. Now, Jamil Hamoudi, while in Paris, found in Sufism, you know, a, a solace. And in that also somehow got him to the Arabic letter. And he, in fact, started as a surrealist artist, but, you know, slowly while he's working with the Arabic letter, it moves away from surrealism to um, uh, various examples of, you know, uh, you know, abstracting cubism uh, manipulation of, of the Arabic letter. Now, here, you know, uh, an homage to Abu Ala al-Ma'arri. So clearly he's also looking into the Islamic history because, again, this is sort of the time when um, all the artists of the Arab world were, were trying to anchor themselves. What does it mean to just all of a sudden, you know, you're no longer part of an, a large Islamic um, uh, empire, but you're, in, you're forming this new country and you're trying to figure out who you are and where you're situated. But of course, the Islamic heritage is a very important part of that heritage, despite of the fact that, you know, they're thinking about it now, you know, outside of uh, the boundaries of uh, um, religion uh, specifically. But for Hamoudi, we actually see him invoking hadith, you know, sayings from the prophet or verses from the Quran. But even in Madiha Omar, you know, she continues doing this and with this idea of um, um, the, the decorative manipulation um, and expressive of it, here's, you know, the word Allah. But again, we have to think of this not as any reference to religion, but a reference to a culture of continuity that they're seeking in the work um, that they're uh, developing. Now, we, we cannot think of all of the artists who work with the Arabic letter as equal. Everyone 
there, I mean, it is the hallmark of the age. And if we think of modernism in the in the Arab world, you know, it's not we can't think in terms of modernism and postmodernism in the same way we think about it in the United States, for example. There are elements of what I mean, you know, we understand postmodernism as a reaction to modernism and modernism had its own problem. And these modernism and postmodernism in that context become a particular Euro-American problem that, you know, the rest of the world did not necessarily share um, in terms of having to figure out, you know, um, how to move for forward from modernism. For the Arab artists, modernism was a moment of renewal. It's very much connected to the idea of Nahda. It is very much connected to the idea of a need to change, a shift into something new. The something new didn't have the same sort of boundaries and guidelines that you, modernism in um, Europe or you know in America had. And America is a very different story when we talk about modernism. So elements of um, excavating um, history, I mean, particularly as they were disconnected from it through colonialism was a very important part of Arab modernism. We always, we continue to, debate what modernism is and how modernism uh, intersect. There's a new initiative, as a matter of fact, that I, um, I just got invited to um, participate in called Intersecting Modernisms, which is definitely much better than alternative or um, uh, what's the multiple modernities, because, you know, I think there is so much more to still try to, to um, unpack there. But I mean, there is this kind of um, opposing, let's say, forces between modernism as it um, uh, developed in, uh, in Europe and modernism as it developed in the Arab world. In ways they are connected in, through this sort of international um, way of thinking, and in other ways they're not connected as they looked at, um, they, they, they formulated different for different reasons and they looked at different sources there are some shared sources that they looked at. Archaeology was a very important part of the development of modernism in Europe and was for all the Arab country, uh, countries, but for different reasons. But if we look at uh, work of Ahmed Mustafa, for example, and he has earlier examples, uh, you know, so um, he's someone, however, who did work a lot with the Arabic letter. I mean, he took it into uh, three-dimensionality and, uh, you know, the idea of, of uh, forms of, of animals is nothing new in, in Islamic uh, zoomorphic sort of examples. But do we think of Ahmed Mustafa in the same sort of, you know, sense that we, we can think of, of Madiha Omar? Madiha Omar thought of herself as a painter. And for the modern Arab artist, it is, there is an important distinction between painter and calligrapher, right? There are and within their own rights, developments within calligraphy, and we can see here calligraphic um, uh, aspects. I mean, this is a stylistic use of the uh, the Arabic letter and has connections to um, Islam and to Islamic calligraphy. So, you know, those artists, in my mind, are not equal in terms of their classification um, or, or, or sources necessarily. Actually, this also, um, all the experiments within what we call harufiya for the lack of uh, having something else to, to call them and textual abstraction, great, but it kind of, you know, reaches beyond this sort of the Arab realm, defy, equally defy, you know, modernism's obsession with classification. So, you know, it's hard to classify where stylistically or even in terms of, of uh, 
conscious manipulation of, of these um, these works, which is you know also it's it's fine and, and good. Now, again, looking at different examples from um, across the region um, at different points of times and. The 40s, as you know, started with Madi Haumar and, and uh, Jamil Hamoudi and few other artists. Um, you know that we haven't. I actually recently heard about an artist who was doing work in the 40s. Now I can't recall who this artist is. One of the the, the things that happened during COVID is so many online, you know, <laughs> um, uh, talks and, and webinars that I cannot uh, recall much. But that means I need to do more research because. I have to say, you know, and it's not because of necessarily, you know, all, you, you know, not enough time, but there's so much to do within our field that, you know, it seems that all we're doing is, you know, we, we start by doing something and then we move on to another and never have enough time to delve back into this. So I, as much as I am sort of tired about, you know, talking about Hrufiya, but at the same time, I know there's so much more um, work to be done. And hopefully, you know, at some point I get the chance to do it. But so after the um, kind of, you know, the 40s and 50s, the, the 40s rather, in the 50s and 60s, we actually see various examples of Harufia here and there. You know, this is it, it was never really a movement, even though we classify, we group them together, but they are trends. And that's actually um, one of the important reasons to think about that this was happening at different places for different reasons, you know, connected to the Arabic letter signifies that idea of identity of also this, if we think of the, the Arabic letter as a site of resistance, of um, uh, negotiating uh, post-colonial modernism, uh, negotiating identity, because it allows for a merger of the past and the present. It is, you know, you're a, a secular Arab, modern Arab person, but this also connects you to the Islamic heritage. And so, and it is abstraction, which is something that also has that continuity from the Islamic with, you know, through the modern. And, but it allows the Arab their own negotiation of abstraction that is very distinct of the European. So in the, in the work of Njel Mahdawi, for example, where you actually, again, you see the references of calligraphy, but um, they are, you know, deconstructed and, um, Connect, uh, combined with, with other elements. And some of the artists um, continued working with the letter for the majority of their um, uh, careers. And others did just sort of sporadic experiments, particularly in the 70s and 80s, we see an increasing number of Arab artists who worked with the Arabic letter. There is also sort of a second kind of, of um, trend that developed, which is more of the commercial, I call it the commercial trend of, of uh, Harufiya, because it also solved a lot of problems um, in societies where, you know, perhaps their relationship with the visual is more complicated or uh, problematic. And so, you know, where the idea of an image is still prohibited. Um, and so artists who worked with the Arabic letter could sell their works in, let's say, Saudi Arabia and you know, many other places because it has that connection to the Quran. But to me, those are a whole different line of production that you know, takes advantage of a commercial market um, uh, sort of adaptability and, and val um, uh, value that is very different than um, many of these examples that 
um, I'm showing here that are equally site of resistance. So, you know, when we look at the work of Osman Wakila, for example, the Sudanese, and we have to think of this within the Khartoum School of Art. So we can, you know, we have to situate each experiment within its specific local context, despite the fact that here I'm putting them all together in one presentation, but they actually do connect to a very different, each one in a very different specific local circumstances for their development. So in a way, you know, asserting that identity is a uh, form of resistance of the colonial heritage um, in teaching art and, you know, in teaching um, uh, visual representation. It is a great solution for that crisis of, of uh, representation that I, I, I identify modernism as. It is a crisis of, of representation at the end, whether it's for the European artist or for the Arab artist, because they needed new ways of expressing their new identity. And so, you know, they looked and they sought to go against the heritage that they had into something new. For the uh, Arab artist, while, you know, this sort of kind of relationship with, with their immediate heritage islam you know is is complicated but it's also what gave them distinction and so we see that um uh, invoked in in the work in various ways as well some just pull reference directly from um, uh, the islamic heritage like waji nahla's uh, lebanese artist fatiha uh, i mean this is uh, you know direct reference uh, to the Quran, whether in, in form or in title, um, but also, you know, it is a, um, a trying to understand this complicated history, particularly in a country like Lebanon, um, where its colonial, um, uh, post-colonial uh, development um, took on a very different um, trajectory than even its neighbors. Um, Muna Saudi's work, which is a public um, uh, monument in Amman, uh, Allah, but again, you know, as abstract form, because again, abstraction being uh, something that is um, familiar um, to the Arab artist, um, serves a lot of, of um, or solves a lot of, of problematics, not superficial, but, you know, much deeper. And the Arabic letter sort of is definitely an aspect. And, and this is where I speak of the decorative um, as surface manipulation, even including the um, the Arabic letter. This is sort of where I'm now you know, trying to look at it in a, in a different way. You're looking at um, two examples that specifically detach um, a letter from a larger context. Uh, Ali Omar and Mace, Saad, which is you know, an Arabic letter. And these are sort of almost like exercises that we do see in uh, Islamic calligraphy with sort of the notation of the writing here. But for Wijdan, uh, on the other ha uh, hand, you know, the reference to Karbala, which is the, you know, the martyrdom of uh, um, Al Hussein with the letter Ha, specifically referencing Hussein, and then you know trying to you know sort of having that bloody expressive um, context behind it, but also you know using um, poetry or you know prose that further explain it, and this is also part of the importance of this relationship with Harufia. For the Arab artists, poetry remained part of their visual heritage, as a matter of fact, the imagination uh, that poetry invoked and the relationship between poets and visual artists it intensifies and intensifies for the same 
political or significant uh, reasons of being as the visual does. Um, Rashid Qureshi's, um, you know, 1979, um, clearly references, you know, um, um, connection to Palestine, but even in the Nation in Exile, Umma Fil Manfa book that he, um, that this is sort of a collaboration between, uh, uh, I mean, it's poetry by Mahmoud Darwish and um, uh, a calligrapher who wrote that poetry in that, you know, same book. And then Rashid Qureshi, who's sort of uh, a pictographs sort of references his own background in every artist references. And this is sort of the individuality of Harufiya as opposed to um, the, you know, um, the, the more communal aspect of calligraphy. Despite the fact that calligraphers had their own stylistic um, choices, but there is a an overall, you know, um, a communal aspect to it, as opposed to um, the specific artist of Harufiya and uh, Rashid Qureshi, with his sort of, you know, Arab and Sufist and and other references that he has in background and experiments that he he was doing in um, work of Mahmoud Hamad of Syria, where you see he calls it calligraphy. Now we have to understand that their understanding of the word calligraphy, whether you know, um, and the, you know, what is the Arabic and what what how was it translated and uh, what was it really referencing, you know, is not so simple to think that it is just Islamic calligraphy, but here he's you know, definitely clearly is deconstructing text and using those letters as you know um, abstract forms within a larger composition of abstraction. Um, but even Kemal Bulata, a Palestinian uh, artist who you know sort of was doing um, almost um, um, you know popular cultural um, uh, manipulation of of um, uh, things that connect to specifically to calligraphy, Islamic calligraphy. He was doing research into Islamic art and Islamic civilization as an artist. And so, you know, uh, and al you know, with again, uh, Sufis references, but to look at the Lam Alif, which clearly, yes, um, Quranic Lam Alif, but also La, which is a negation of, you know, a no. And so you can put it within a uh, political reference. Um, and particularly, you know, with the sort of, there is the, um, the textual, but there is also that visual manipulation that, you know, takes us beyond that to Leila Shoah, for example. And these are two examples from walls of, of Gaza, of, uh, where, you know, this is her homeland and, and um, this is definitely about Palestinian um, uh, resistance and, and struggle. And this is definitely about slogans on the walls of, um, that she, you know, she saw in, in, in Gaza with a lot of significance of, you know, uh, superimposing images on the, um, uh, on the walls that speaks more of uh, defiance, but also of loss. So I want to now move um, to a couple of artists in uh, in Iraq, where the Arabic letter specifically takes on a much deeper um, uh, roots. So, for example, Shakir Hassan Al Said, who is the co-founder of the Baghdad Group for Modern Art, with um, artist Jawad Salim, who you know these two people have very different personalities and Shakir Hassan was also someone who was trained at the teachers uh, college and studied sociology and so and he comes from um, a town in uh, southern Iraq and so he's not the sort of 
cosmopolitan, trendy uh, Jawad Salim, but he is also um, someone who outlived Jawad Salim, lived much longer and, and um, was able to experiment for um, much longer and take the notions that him and, and Jawad started into a different direction. He was a theoretician and a historian as well. And in fact, uh, what we know about modernism in Iraq, we mostly know through his publications. He published um, um, and wrote a lot. And he was the one who wrote the, the manifesto of the Baghdad Group for Modern Art, for sure, despite the fact that you know it articulated many of the uh, ideas that um, Jawad Salim was uh, working with. Now, from the, you know, the, the manifesto of the Baghdad Group for Modern Art, they spoke of istilham. Istilham, a very complicated word, word um, to translate to English because, you know, simply translated seeking inspiration is really not accurate because it's a performative word that sort of mediates between two different things. It pulls from one place to develop something else. It is, yes, about drawing from, but not so much inspiration because this is a very conscious um, deconstruction of heritage and istilham al-Turat specifically is what um, the Baghdad Group for Modern Art, Jama'at Baghdad al-Fan al-Hadith speaks uh, of. Um, and, you know, they start looking into what is that heritage and, you know, long story, but, you know, they find in the 13th century manuscript of uh, Yahya al-Wasiti um, a reference to uh, the school painting, the Baghdad School of Painting, and this sort of gives them um, the, it's an aha moment. Ah, you know, our, our ancestors not only did abstraction, but they did it in a very modern way. They actually looked at the psychological and the political and the societal beyond just the form and shape. And so it really served them, the, the uh, Maqamat al-Hariri of Yahya al-Wasati really served them as a, uh, a, a point of continuity because they in fact specifically spoke of reconnecting with the 13th century um, experiments, but also thought of Yahya al-Wasati as an inheritor of the Mesopotamian heritage. So they did not see the, uh, you know, any opposition between or tensions between pre-Islamic and Islamic that then, you know, takes them into um, uh, the modern. And um, there, you experiment, you know, varies. And, you know, I'm only going to look at Shakir Hassan here, because he is someone who was obsessed with the notion of istilham. Uh, he would say that you can understand modernism in Iraq through the, you know, through the obsession of istilham. I very much agree with him. And I would, in fact, argue that it is the notion of istilham is something that was, even though they coined it in um, uh, the Baghdad group for modern art, but we actually can see it in, in um, Madihaz Omar's work as well. The notion of this drawing and moving into a different direction, you know, specific and, and intentional. So the first examples, which were sort of about story and narrative. I mean, this is from the 1001 night, but we see uh, the development of a relationship of, of text and image and the notion of istilham would help them into abstraction, into a meaningful um, understanding of what abstraction is. We see that his, you know, experiment, he, he after forming the Baghdad Group for Modern Art and he met Jawad Salim 
at the uh, Academy of, uh, at the, um, uh, which becomes the College of Fine Arts, the Academy of Fine Arts in Baghdad, Jawad Sidi Musi's teacher, they form it together. And while, you know, the Baghdad School for Modern Art is developing in Baghdad, he gets a scholarship to go to Paris to study at the Ecole de Beaux-Arts. The creativity of, you know, Shakir, and he takes the idea of Istilham um, deeper to Istilham al-Harf. In 1966, he actually publishes something he calls Contemplative uh, Art Manifesto. And the notion of a contemplative art, the artist is not a creator. The artist is a contemplator of the existence of what God had left. The artist is almost a, a, an archaeologist excavating the ideas and the, the traces that are left behind. He was obsessed in the notion of al-bard al-wahid, the one dimension, finding that moment where, you know, the, that goes beyond existence. And he found it in the dot on a surface. And he's, he pulls from Islamic um, uh, philosophy. And in fact, uh, the contemplative manifesto and, and for an artist to achieve um, the ultimate sort of understanding of that contemplation has steps, stages, very similar to Sufism. And, you know, even uses the similar language. So, you know, you're going through these different stages to achieve this purity. There was a, a running joke, as a matter of fact, um, when uh, Shakir Hassan Said was living in Amman in Jordan, he stayed in a, this uh, very popular area called Al Abdali. Um, and, um, uh, you know, he'd, you'll see him walking around there. And there's a lot of graffiti on walls. And so many of um, his companions and, and even his students and disciples, because he taught for a long time. He worked with the uh, uh, museum for a long time. He left a legacy with students who um, sort of very much channel him. As a matter of fact, um, at the end of, on the 29th of April, um, there will be a symposium that is uh, organized by uh, MoMA PS1 with one of his students, Hanama Lalla, who um, uh, I'm participating in that as well, who translated letters between them. So he left um, a strong legacy um, uh, with his followers. But so they would be walking around and see some graffiti on the wall and say that they take a photo or say, we can sort of frame this and call it a Shakir Hassan Said work. He looked for that. He looked for traces of time. He looked for traces of humanity on the physical world. But to, to look of that traces as it goes beyond to the infinity. A very complex man, in, you know, you can see in his uh, work sort of excavating the surface. He's like, you know, scratching and cutting. And um, you see the relationships between letters and numbers because he did look into talismatic and um, what these letters uh, mean. So, for example, um, he explained to me this X um, would mean al-fa'u, for example. And this is during the Gulf War. So this is also a very interesting way of understanding how Iraqi artists, you know, spoke of um, uh, political aspects. And this, I mean, you know, it's an X, but it's two, um, two shapes also like this. Um, and, um, you know, then he will take them to uh, numerical equivalents and, and, um, and then the letters and, and, you know, what they mean. And the ultimate to him is to go beyond 
the surface. And in this work, you know, this is sort of the experiment. This is one of the, the, the last works really he did um, before he went into um, depression. He did this when he was in, uh, in Doha at uh, Sheikh Hassan um, uh, sort of informal artist residency in, in which he tried to kind of support Iraqi artists. And I mean, the excavation takes you to the transparency, but to transcendence, to the moving beyond. And this is really what he want, wanted to um, achieve in his work. A very sort of different and opposing um, example is in the work of the Yala Zawi, um, another Iraqi artist who is a generation younger than uh, Shakir Hassan, but who also actually participated in Al-Bad al-Wahid uh, first meeting, um, and then um, uh, just sort of, you know, opposed the ideas of uh, Shakir Hassan, so left um, uh, the group. But the Arabic letter also occupies a large portion of his um, uh, career and oeuvre. And his early works, you know, in the 1968, for example, Tragedy of Karbala, because this was also the time that one of the first artists to do this was Iraqi artist Kadim Haider, to... Um, Think of the martyrdom of Hussein as part of the heritage of Iraq and understand its political significance, cultural significance. And so it was invoked in various ways as a site of resistance in its, in its own right. And so, you know, the, the manipulation of it, and of course, you know, there, the, the text here is part of a story. This is sort of some of the experiment which I find really interesting at um, um, uh, in the during the 20th century of uh, trying to do topography and new standardized uh, topography. Um, and, you know, they used that in an exhibition that they um, uh, were organizing the, the group, the New Vision, and you can see calligraphy as being part of it. But, you know, um, to go back to, to the Azawi and to connection to poetry, connection to history. But the Azawi saw that saw the Arabic letter as very useful at a specific moment of time. And he kind of came across it, um, or rather, and the Azawi is someone who is trained in archaeology um, before he has a degree in archaeology. And he worked in the, in the museum as an archaeologist in Iraq before uh, while he was studying art as well, and before he left Iraq to London, where he was the artistic director of the Iraqi Cultural Center in London. But it was in London as he, you know, um, look into the heritage. And in fact, he also talks and says that um, when he went to the uh, uh, National Library in, in Paris, it was the first time he actually gets to see the, the whole Makramat um, al-Hariri as a manuscript. And he facilitated the um, production of a facsimile of it because he wanted to understand deeper what is this that affected the history of, of modern art in Iraq based on three or four images that the Iraqi artists have seen um, in a French journal. But, you know, that kind of gave them the key into moving forward. So to him, the idea of being in London and, and having access to the libraries and the museums only enriched his understanding of his heritage. And with that, you know, the Arabic letter enters clearly an identity um, uh, signifier as well, um, but also political as um, Azawi is, um, uh, you know, very aware and particularly before he left Iraq in um, 1969, him and, and a number of, of artists, um, uh, six altogether, 
the generation of the 1960s in Iraq, uh, as opposed to the 1950s, were very politicized, and they were very aware of, you know, this is following the, the Nakba, and so Palestine was a very sort of um, core point of, of um, uh, gathering, and so we see it invoked in a lot of his work till today. Um, he still lives in London, but, you know, we see even when he was engaging with poetry, and this is, you know, muallaqat, and what, you know, his, and he uh, would engage with poetry a lot, his understanding of poetry is kind of, again, that notion of invoking, as opposed to reading. He's not, you know, producing poetry books, but he's, or, or images, but he's producing um, his own inter visual interpretation of the, uh, the these poems, the spirit, the spirit of these poems that he then, you know, sort of mixes the the letter and the and the shape and form. And even when you can read, you know, sporadic things like the names of the uh, the poets of Al-Mu'alaqat, the actual poetry is, you know, not um, meant to be legible. But then in the 1980s, you know, the letter again as a um, a form. Uh, rather as a shape as part of his composition, um, you know, uh, and particularly while he's in London. And perhaps we can talk about a form of, of um, distance from the Arab world or from his Iraqi culture that kind of uh, possibly, you know, uh, nostalgic, although he would disagree fully about nostalgia. But, you know, the Azawi have lived in London since 1976. And I think of him as an Iraqi artist, not a British Ira uh, Iraqi artist, because even though as a person, he is a British Iraqi, but as an artist, he is an Iraqi artist. His connection remains to his own understanding of what Iraq is, despite the fact that he refuses to go to Iraq since 2003. He wanted to retain a specific image in his head. And this specific image is what we see negotiated in the different works. And this, you know, he fluctuates between Arab and slash Iraqi. So Arabism is an important thing that remains important uh, for him. And so, you know, um, the notion that this is Abdullah, uh, what Anafari said to Abdullah, Abdullah as this uh, symbolic of an Arab identity, a you know, sort of generic Arab identity uh, collective. Um, but, you know, we see the different formulation of the letter in his work, including when we're talking about in Ankido's uh, mask, you know, referencing um, the ancient um, Mesopotamian heritage, which is by now seen as a continuity, um, you know, into the Islamic age. So it's no longer something that is separate than Arabism necessarily as it formulates. And what is more interesting is that... Um, the Azawi kind of then uh, take this idea of text and image and poetry into then what becomes kind of sculptural into the defter, the notebook. This is sort of a, a new trend that starts in Iraqi art that I have to say, even though artist books have always happened, right? So even Shakir Hassan has one from the 1960s and so on. But in the 1990s, the Azawi actually, as a way of sort of supporting uh, younger artists in Iraq, he would ask them to experiment with this. He will give them an idea and ask them to experiment with it. And, you know, this is a way of, of, of support um, in terms of you know, monetary support, but also artistic support. And they would produce these, you know, their own understandings of books. This is the 1990s. They don't have spaces. They don't have big canvases. They don't have material. And so then, you know, they use the various forms of um, 
of that. But this idea and you know of um, poetry and um, an image, something we see in Rafa Nasri's uh, work as well. And Rafa and and Dia were both part of the New Vision, um, a group that was formed in 1969 specifically as a form of defiance, is distinctly um, different than um, the Manifesto of the Baghdad group for modern art. It doesn't speak of continuity, it speaks of revolution and defiance. And so it has this sort of, you know, um, more politicized um, aspect to it. And so in the 1990s, as I said, and he's sort of asking many of the Iraqi artists to um, produce these books. And this is actually um, a book um, by Karim Rissan, who was a student of Shakir Hassan. And you can kind of see um, the the um, influence of Shakir Hassan um, on his work and the idea of, of Istilham al-Jidar, for example, as is transformed in these books. And this was personal work by the artist, not um, necessarily, um, uh, you know, something from a, a museum, but this speaks of the lack of um, uh, laws and regulations um, governing, you know, um, art in Iraq. But so I'm going to sort of just end by showing you a um, few examples of these um, Dafatir um, that were produced by different Iraqi artists. And these are the, the Iraqi artists continue to produce books. This is Hannah Malallah, who that was a student of uh, Shakir Hassan Said as well, and very much channels his way of thinking. But she also um, did her PhD at the um, College of Fine Arts in, um, in Baghdad on signs and symbols. Um, and so looked into uh, Mesopotamian um, and um, Islamic and, and, and to uh, sort of the modern age. She also currently lives in uh, in London. None of these artists that I'm showing you now remained in in uh, in Baghdad. And I'm going to end with this last one by Muhammad Shimari, who also kind of you know um, uh, sort of draws resources from the idea of Baghdad as uh, an Abbasid and Islamic city. Thank you for listening to Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts. To see related slides, please visit our webpage, www.themagrebpodcast.com. Other episodes are available on our website, www.themagrebpodcast.com, as well as on iTunes and Podbean. For more information on our podcasts, like our Facebook page, Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts, subscribe to the CMAT newsletter at www.cematmagreb.org or visit the webpage of the American Institute for Maghreb Studies. See you soon for new episodes.